Welcome to Hiawatha. My name's Chris. I'm one of the pastors here. Thank you for uh, coming today, especially if it's your first time here. Like Jonah said, we are uh, glad you guys are, are joining us today. We are in a series right now, a short uh, sermon series in the Gospel of Luke. So this will lead us right up to and uh, through Easter. So uh, this is, I think, week three or four. I forget what we're on now, Spence, but is it four already? Is it, it's not five. Stop it. Is it really? No, it's not. Okay, I'm not going to ask you anymore. Uh, it's uh, somewhere in there. Anyway, um, we are today going to be in Luke 19, 1 to 10. So if you have a Bible or a phone app and want to turn there to kind of see it in context in front of your face, I, I'd encourage that. But don't worry if you don't have one. We'll have this on screen here in a second. But um, today is essentially the story of a short tax collector named Zacchaeus who climbed a tree to see Jesus over the crowds because he was too short to see him. He had some interest in him. He wanted to see what he was like, and so he climbs a tree. Jesus interacts with him, and through that, we just learn a lot of theology. We learn about what God is like, about who Jesus is, what his mission truly was, what it wasn't as well. I think we see some of that, and a lot of this happens kind of by way of great offense, and I'm going to try to help us to feel that to start today in a second after we read uh, the fact that Jesus interacts at all with a man like Zacchaeus is uh, incredibly scandalous. And it just like, in, in one sense, if you view the world through just kind of this moral lens of right and wrong, it just doesn't make sense. And Jesus breaks those kinds of uh, sort of categories in one sense, and I'll talk about that in a little bit here as well. But uh, the big resolution, though, comes with how this passage is forward-looking. It's not... Uh, an island unto itself. And if you're new to the Bible or to Hiawatha, maybe you're hearing this for the first time, and that's great. These stories are not meant to be islands unto themselves, but to point beyond themselves to greater versions of this story that culminate in the death and resurrection of Christ. So kind of keep your antennas up for that too as we go. Let's read uh, today to start. We're again uh, talking about Zacchaeus today. Luke 19, 1 to 10. Here we go. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich, and he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry down, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. All right, let's start with uh, this question of who is Zacchaeus and the related question, kind of like I was setting up a minute ago, of how does his identity, really who he is, add all kinds of tension to the story uh, that sort of create this dramatic tension, maybe some irony in it, that Jesus uh, speaks the gospel, embodies the gospel into, and teaches God ultimately teaches us theology through. Uh, He actually is uh, described fairly extensively here relative to how short the story is. He is, and here's a few things uh, just to walk through quick. He is a uh, chief tax collector, which is kind of like saying chief sinner uh, because of the strong negative connotations with tax collecting and stealing and oppression. Uh, He's rich. He is small. We know that as well. He's maybe a good climber because he climbed a tree. He's spiritually lost. 
according to how Jesus calls him, uh, more broadly speaking, it calls him lost at the end of, of the section. He's interested in Jesus on some level. Maybe he starts to know his need for him. We don't, it doesn't appear that's the case, at least off the cuff, it seems like, as it says, he just wants to see who Jesus was. So that tells us he's heard his name. He's probably heard a bit of like his fame, right? Like what he's done in healing people, performing miracles, and just being kind of odd in some ways too. Not like just a moral teacher, but something much more. Um, and so he's just interested. Then eventually he's repentant. Repentant means to turn um, and so, uh, to turn from your old life to be with Jesus, that's actually a pretty key definition to if you've, you know, ever wondered what is repentance. Uh, it is not as simple as just saying turning from being a bad person to be a good person. It's not what it is. Uh, it's turning from self-worship, from our old life to Jesus, from bad to Jesus, even from like good without Jesus to Jesus. That's what Zacchaeus is doing, right? He's not just like transforming morally here. He's turning from himself and what he used to do, what he used to be about, to the person and work of Jesus Christ. That's repentance. Because to understand it just morally, well, I mean, anybody can do that or sort of does that, right? Non People aren't Christians do it all the time. What it means to distinctly be a Christian and repent is, uh, in a, repent in a Christian way, is to turn from worshiping ourselves, our old lives, from sin, from going our own way, uh, and things like that, to the person of Jesus Christ. And as the Son of God who came to rescue us from our despair and from our sin. That's repentance. That's what you see Zacchaeus uh, embodying. I'll talk a bit more about that later on, but just I want to make sure that was clear since I used the word uh, here. All right? Then verse 7 is a really key part uh, I mentioned before. It says again, uh, and when they, the crowd, saw it, saw what was happening here with Jesus and Zacchaeus, uh, they all grumbled, saying, he, Jesus, has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Almost like they, maybe some of them thought, he doesn't realize what he's doing. You know, if, if he knew Zacchaeus like we know him, there's no way he would do that. That's kind of what it sounds like, right? Uh, but they grumbled, it says. They, they grumbled in that way. Uh, they, they, the crowd, when they saw what Jesus had done, sensed sort of um, this injustice or unfairness. Uh, it was a problem. And they grumbled about it. So the big question, I think, though, is why? Uh, why did they grumble? Not just that they did, but why? This is a major, actually a bigger question, much bigger than just Luke 19. This comes up in other parts of Jesus' ministry as well. Even the Old Testament, you see uh, people grumble. I'll mention one of those stories here in a second. But I think the answer, if I were to boil it down to a few things, and they kind of all say kind of the same thing in one sense, but uh, the answer has to do with one undeserved grace or favor was being shown. Zacchaeus definitely didn't deserve this. Two, relatedly, unfairness was in play. It was just unfair. It was an injustice on some level. And three, they thought they were better. That's probably the biggest one. Uh, if you've read the story of Jonah in the Old Testament, how Jonah grumbled as well at God's kindness being shown to the Ninevites, it's the same idea. Jonah thought he was better than these sinners that God was being kind to. And Jonah didn't realize he was just as bad. And so he grumbles. When we don't realize we're as bad as people, other people, and God saves them or shows kindness to them, we start to grumble, right? It's unfair. How dare God do that? Why isn't he dining with me? Right? But if we see ourselves in the same level, the grumbling dissipates. 
it goes away. There's no more, it becomes less of an injustice or unfair. Even though it's kind of unfair still because we're being shown favor by a holy God, we don't deserve it. Uh, we, the playing field is, is a bit more leveled. So, so I, I'd say it this way. The Bible is a story of many things, but not less than the, the divine dismantling of our misguided self-assurance and our pride and our self-sufficiency. Jesus shows grace to Zacchaeus precisely because he was the worst. And the crowd needed to understand they were in the same boat, meaning needy, sinful, and undeserving, yet loved by God nonetheless. And, and I would add this layer too. In order to feel the sting of this all the more, because, you know, uh, in our culture, I think, Spence, you said something to this, this effect last week when we talked about some similar themes. We don't like to think of tax collector and think, oh my gosh, worst, worst thing ever, right? That's not as much in our culture uh, here. And so um, I was actually in uh, Marco Island in Florida a few weeks ago with my family and driving by and seeing, there's just this sign up in front of this building that said tax collector on it. <laughs> and I thought, is this a joke? Am I being punked here? You know, this is fake, like looking around. But it's just like tax collector in front of this, like that's where the tax collector is. Took a picture. Um, anyways, kind of funny. But, uh, but we don't think about like tax collectors as the worst of society. But to help us like feel the sting of this more, I think um, what basically what's happening here is Luke 19 shows us that Jesus clearly came to save not just victims, but oppressors. Did you hear that? Jesus came to save not just victims or the oppressed, but he came clearly to save the oppressors as well. Zacchaeus is a textbook oppressor. He did it for a living. He held people down and hurt them. He was rich and privileged, and he stole from the poor to make himself richer. He was a textbook of pressure that Jesus said, I want him. I'm pulling him out of the crowd to dine with him and to save him uh, from his sins. That's where this starts to get really offensive. Jesus does this elsewhere too. Think of Matthew, his disciple, who was also a tax collector. Think of the Roman centurions that he showed kindness to. They were oppressor types in that culture as well too, right? This is not a one-off. Jesus does this a lot. He shows kindness to victims and the poor, but also shows grace and kindness to the one who are doing the oppressing as well. Which, again, for the crowd, this is exactly what's going on. This is why they have a problem with it. And so would we, right? I mean, the crowd, many of whom probably had been recently ripped off by Zacchaeus, is now watching Jesus show him kindness. And they had to be thinking, what about me? He hurt me. He stole from me. This is unfair. Why am I being passed up? For, you know, for the sake of, uh, of, of this wicked man. And I think that the passage holds out this question, the Bible does wholesale, but you know, I, I think here we're, we're confronted with this question of, is this the Jesus I believe in? Or if I put him in a box, have I limited him? Have I shrunken him into something that he is not? Or, you know, in other words, does your Jesus only come for the victim and the oppressed as you see it or as I see it, like as we define that idea. That's, that's a part of the issue too, as we define the term in a truncated way, not in a way, like more of this universal way the Bible does, uh, uh, I think, here and, and elsewhere. Or think of it this way. What if Jesus, like, was in Minneapolis and he walked through a crowd last May and picked out Derek Chauvin uh, from the crowd and, and instead of canceling him, uh, had dinner with him instead of you? Like, how would that feel? Would you grumble? You probably would. If you're honest with yourself, I probably would. You know, and I, I know better. I know, I know what grace is. You know, I, I know what the gospel is, but I'd still grumble. How much more people that don't understand, right? 
uh, what, what grace is. But that's exactly what, this is the kind of guy he is. Does your gospel have room for that? You know, again, it's not, not as simple as just saying Jesus takes the side of the victim, though he definitely does at times, obviously. The Bible speaks a lot to this because we're all that. We're all the victims of being crushed by satanic dominion and our sins and distance from God and all of that. So he came for us, right? He came for the sick like us. Uh, but this one act here, I think, speaks volumes to why Jesus came. He was not just a social crusader. Uh, he was not a, a political savior, but to say, he came to save sinners, short and tall, oppressed and oppressor, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And, and the reality is, this is where the rub kind of, you know, hits us, is grace is unfair. Uh, it's, it's beautifully impartial, but it's unfair, but it's full of love. And love is unfair because love is not conditioned on what we have done to offer the lover, but given based on love alone. Like when weddings happen, right, you don't see vows given and, and you know, a groom say, you know, wife-to-be, because you've done all this stuff for me, I'm going to offer you a ring. Like that's be the epitome of unromanticness, right? Like that's not what love is. Uh, but it is, un- so it's unfair. Like, you know, Aletha offered me love unfairly because I'm a very sinful man. So unfairly I was offered marriage, right? Um, and I to her. It's the same way with God. And I think that's what we're seeing here is grace is unfair. If we're looking for fairness, you'll have a really, really hard time with Christianity because you and I were unfairly chosen. We were unfairly loved. We were unfairly shown favor. You know, the Son of God died a brutal death unfairly in our place in an unjust, unjust way. And so we have to be careful how we talk about justice and victim mentalities and oppressor mentalities. It's like Jesus walks down the center, you know. He doesn't take a, up one side of the picketing line and say, I'm on the side of the right side here and I'm screaming against the wrong side. He walks down and says to bad people and good people, both of you need me. Not to the good side, you're okay because you're a good person. Both of you need me. You bad people, you good people, you moral, you immoral, you tall, you short, you tax collectors and those who've been ripped off, you all need me. And so he doesn't pull out a victim from the crowd, he pulls out the oppressor to teach this lesson. You know, the victims, though God loves them and cared for them as well, they needed to understand that they're no better than, than the oppressor. And at the end of the day, the crowds grumble because they don't understand grace. And honestly, there's a grumbler in all of us. And this is what I think part of the lesson here is you and I don't understand grace perfectly. We just don't. And that doesn't mean we don't, we don't understand it sufficiently to be saved. It just means that this is so not our way. Uh, of thinking sometimes, and, uh, the, and Jesus' course corrects us. He brings us around to remind us we're saved by grace, not by our works, uh, period. And stories like this, this exist in the shadow of that greater gospel reality. All right, so that's kind of the tension here. Uh, I want to move into this next section, which is trees, changed hearts, and loving the poor. I'll explain that. But I think this, is, this next part is a resolution to the offensive tension that I just kind of laid out. Because... It's not wrong to want justice. It's not wrong to want wrongdoers punished, you know, necessarily. Um, God shares that. God is a God of justice. And so if we, if we have that piece, then we might ask the question, well, how can Jesus be acting in this way? If Jesus is literally the epitome of justice walking around, why is he, how can he be acting this way to Zacchaeus? The answer to that question, I think, is in the details of the rest of the story. And so to help us see that, I want to walk through three big things here and kind of unpack them. 
The first is uh, the, the initial problem from uh, Zacchaeus' standpoint is the story arises when he wants to see Jesus, right? And he can't, so he climbs a tree. Verse 4 says, he climbed up into a tree to see him. <laughs> it's this um, <clears throat> endearing story in a lot of ways. Uh, two people this morning have sung this Zacchaeus song to me. Anyone know the Zacchaeus song? I don't even know. I think I remembered it, but I wasn't like, I wasn't taught that. I can't sing it for you. Uh, the Zacchaeus song we all hear, and it's this, oh, isn't Zacchaeus, you know, this, this fun story. Um, his role is an oppressor notwithstanding, right? Um, but there are a couple of bigger takeaways for us theologically here that I think with trees in mind rise up to the surface. The, the first being the initial problem. So or I'll put it this way. A tree is what initially solved the problem of Zacchaeus not being able to see Jesus, right? Zacchaeus could not be near the Son of God. A tree is what solved that problem. Something outside of him. But not just anything, uh, a tree, a sycamore tree. Which if you know how the Bible utilizes this theme elsewhere, you know that the ultimate tree, according to the Bible, is the tree of the cross where Jesus dies. Uh, Galatians 3 is one place where the, the, tree is, the cross is likened to a tree, but um, it's, it's many more places. So, so this story, I think, is a whisper of the true tree that solves our problem as quote-unquote short sinners being able to see God again. Uh, that the solution to salvation is not our bodies, it's not our strength. It is an alien solution, which is a tree. Zacchaeus and the tree were different things, right? It, what, the solution was not inside Zacchaeus. The solution was a tree. Uh, in the same way, the solution for us to being close to God is the cross of Jesus Christ. That's it. And that's not something that you can contribute to. You can't manufacture it. Uh, Jesus didn't, God didn't create it in history in response to your goodness. He did it in spite of mine, in spite of it. Um, now, that's going to become more apparent as, as the story goes on, but I think that's the first thing we see is the initial problem is solved by a tree, just like our problem is solved by a cross tree. And that's where the story is heading. On the other side, though, of the coin, we quickly realize in the story it's not Zacchaeus's climbing of the tree that helps him to get to Jesus, but it's Jesus seeing him, telling him to come down, and having dinner with him, right? If Jesus didn't do that, uh, they wouldn't have connected. In a lot of ways, I think that's a microcosm of the greater story of redemption in the Bible where God ultimately helps humanity to see that salvation's not about climbing higher to God, but about God helping us come back down to earth. Jesus is saying, Zacchaeus, come down from all that work. Come down back to earth from all that energy you expended to climb up towards heaven and come down away with me to rest and to eat. Let me, let me feed you. Let me nourish you. Sometimes this story gets reduced then to applauding Zacchaeus, you know, for climbing the tree as if Jesus was rewarding him for his ingenuity. And then the lesson becomes, be like Zacchaeus and do the hard work of trying to get to Jesus. But that's not what's going on here. There's a reason Jesus did not join him in the tree, right? He calls him out of it. If anything, Jesus is inviting him away from his ingenuity, not rewarding him for being the one guy to figure out the elusive tree riddle. Instead, the message is, nice tree, Zacchaeus, but come down, follow me, and let me show you what it really looks like to climb a tree when I die on a cross for your sins. We call this 
substitutionary atonement in theology where we belong on the tree, we belong on the cross, we belong in the place of being cursed by God, we belong in hell, but Jesus takes our place. Zacchaeus comes down, Jesus later in the story goes up. And the two trees help to show that uh, in, in the narrative. All right, the second part is I want to talk about Jesus' um, power here. I want to talk about Zacchaeus and his heart being changed by Jesus. I, I don't want to, in one sense, I don't want to bury the lead. I know some of you are new to the Bible or new to Jesus and to Christianity. And in the big picture, it's important just to kind of step back here and see that this story teaches us that Jesus changes lives. He sees us, he knows our name, he calls out to us in love, and when he does that, we're forever changed. Did you guys see where this is happening, what city this is happening in, in verse 1? It's happening in Jericho, right? So Jesus is walking through Jericho. Now, if you've read about Jericho in the Old Testament, if you read when that city comes up for the first time in the book of Joshua, if you remember what happens there, remember when the walls of that city come crashing down after Israel marched around it? Well, this time what's happening in Jericho is Jesus does the marching and the walls that fall down are not the walls of a city, but the walls of a hard, human, sinful heart. Right out of a tree, down to the ground, never to be rebuilt again. But notice a few more things here. First, it's Zacchaeus' receiving Jesus, being found by Jesus, that ends up changing his life, right? Not a way of living per se, but Jesus himself. When, when Jesus calls him a son of Abraham, it's not just a genealogical thing, that is a spiritual thing. In Galatians 3, um, elsewhere in the New Testament, it says, understand then that those, Jew or Gentile, Jew or non-Jew, anybody, anyone who has faith or trust in God are, spiritually speaking, children of Abraham, or people of God. So if we use this to interpret kind of what's going on in Luke 19 in a way, Jesus is saying Zacchaeus has faith. Zacchaeus trusts in God. Zacchaeus is not trying to, at least at this point, after the fact when he comes down and is talking to Jesus and they interact. We don't know a lot about that conversation, of course. But we see that he is called a person of God, a son of Abraham, based on his faith. A man who depends on God alone for salvation rather on himself. So it's the receiving of Jesus that ends up changing his life, not, not a way of living per se, uh, but rather Christ uh, himself. Second, Jesus did not ask him to do what he's doing with his money. Zacchaeus just is moved unto doing that and to being generous, to giving to the poor, to paying back all these people he defrauded. He's moved unto that by being shown kindness. So Romans 2.4 is a great place to look at this idea where there the Bible says God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. This is a, you know, a big piece to how Christians understand spiritual transformation. God's grace, when we're impacted by what he did for us through Jesus, the kind, undeserved kindness he shows us, that can't help but change us, albeit imperfectly, never perfectly, of course, but it, 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 it leads us to turn. It leads us to turn away from our old lives it leads us to be, have transformation in our minds. It's a quote from Romans 12 as well, to be renewed in our minds. It leads us to repent and to turn and to change. This is how as Christians we at least should think about transformation. We're not moralists alone. We, we don't think moralism works. We think Jesus works. Um, and so 
Grace leads us to it rather than rote commandment giving alone. And the kind, if the kindness of God is the source, then we better keep talking about that kindness, right? We better keep talking about his grace and not graduate from it because if we stop talking about the kindness of God through Jesus, we will not change, right? If you, if you move on from the kindness of God converting you to commandment giving, it's thinking now that will change you, not only are you being just incredibly unbiblical, but you're going to spin your wheels in the mud. The kindness of God saves and it changes every single day. It's daily bread. It, it, the gospel must go forth, the good news of his death and resurrection, into our ears and hearts and souls. The focus must be taken off of ourselves altogether. Only then can true transformation take place when we focus on Jesus and not our hearts and bodies and, and souls. Even though it might look like that sometimes, and that's fine, there's a place for that, Ultimately, um, at the top, the headwaters is the kindness of God. It is not um, us. Third, uh, I would uh, point you to this idea. Zacchaeus pays people back, but not God. Did you guys notice that? Zacchaeus, after interacting with Jesus, pays, or he gives to the poor, and he pays back those he's defrauded everything times four. And that is a big difference, right? Because in Christianity, not only can we not pay God back for what he's done, the act of trying to pay him back is an atrocious sin. It, it is so uh, much the antithesis of Christianity and grace uh, that it actually keeps us from God. It makes us look at ourselves and the money we make, the works of our hands, uh, and says, God, look here, uh, take this now. You know, um, it's, it's sort of like, and we kind of feel that, right? Whenever, have you ever given a gift to someone or paid for a meal? And right away they said, oh, don't do that. Okay, fine, I'll get you next time, fine, I'll get you next time. And you're sort of like, dude, just let me give you something. You ever feel that? It sort of like takes away from some of the opportunity. It's the same way with God. Like, God is not looking to be paid back. And if, we, if you do, I mean, at least in that moment, you're not acting like a Christian. I'm not, if we do that. Um, it's, it's, at the, the, it's the opposite um, of it. Martin Luther said once, God does not need your good works, but your neighbor does. God does not need your good works, but your neighbor does. That's kind of what you're seeing here, right? Zacchaeus is not paying Jesus back. I mean, he's glorifying him, right? We can worship him and credit him with all the good in our life, but he's sort of like paying that forward to others. He's demonstrating what's been done for him, uh, forward to other people. And that's, again, kind of what we're seeing here. The gospel is such that Zacchaeus' response is not to do something for God in order to pay him back, but his heart is changed, restored to God, but changed towards other people, formerly his enemies. And reconciliation happens there in the shadow of reconciliation with God that we have by the blood of Christ. All right, this uh, third piece here. When you look at Zacchaeus' response itself, this is kind of pulling from all I just said, so it's kind of 2B, I guess, instead of 3. But when you look at Zacchaeus' response itself, we notice something deeper going on than maybe what, what, uh, what meets the eye. Last year, actually, around this time, um, I preached on Mark 10. It might, may have even been this exact weekend. It was early in the shutdown. And it's a passage on the rich young ruler. Um, and I suggested in that passage that there were really two rich young rulers in the passage, the second one being Jesus himself, and I gave reasons for that. We'll go back into that today. 
But I think that the same thing's going on here as well in Luke 19. I think that there are actually two Zacchaeuses. There's Zacchaeus himself, obviously, but there's also Jesus, who's kind of like a Zacchaeus. Yes, there are obvious key differences, but note the similarities. I already mentioned that Jesus is the one who truly climbs a tree for us. But we also know that like Zacchaeus, after he climbed the tree to die for our sins, Jesus did, and after he came down and was buried and rose again, after that, in the wake of that, out of his wealth, he gave to the spiritually poor and restored relationships uh, fourfold between us and God. And so the idea, I think, here is that when Jesus changes a life, it's for his glory. All right? And, and by that I mean it's not just that he gets the credit for doing the saving, but that the changed heart itself becomes a pale reflection of his heart. As if salvation has less to do with just making us good people and more to do with actually receiving Jesus Christ himself into our hearts and souls and bodies. Zacchaeus' actions here are indicative of the fact that when a sinner is saved, Jesus takes up residence by the Holy Spirit, right, in a person's life. And that person's good works become signposts of his greater work for, for us. Or think about it this way. Zacchaeus is not being, just being made a good person here. He's becoming a Christian, meaning someone full of God's good works themselves. And that's very different. If you're a Christian, you have God's good works put in you. Because Jesus lives in you. And so if that's the case, it should not be shocking that Zacchaeus' good works look like Jesus' good works. They're one and the same. Jesus is being a better version. Jesus, though rich, gave you poor sinners his wealth. He shared himself with you. The most valuable thing in the universe is him. And he didn't just give you this idea of salvation. He actually saved you and gave you his body. Isn't that amazing? He didn't save you and just call you to be, to be good on your own. And he's not looking it down at you from heaven to see how, they're, how you're doing. Don't live like that. It's not a Christian way to live. Believe that every day he lives in you. There's no more distance between you and him. And like Zacchaeus, we're already seeing a pale reflection of this, how his love towards other people was a physical play in the streets of Jericho of what God was going to do through his son just not far at all from this moment, because this, this is right before the triumphal entry. We'll talk about that next week. So isn't that awesome? This is not just about be like Zacchaeus. This is about Jesus was like him, you know? And he saved you. He gave you himself. He made you wealthy in his love. Whether we're poor or rich in this life, we're wealthy in, in his love. And so, hey, it, it is a mystery for sure. But here in Luke 19, God uses a small, insignificant con man to scandalously demonstrate what his son is like. That's what's going on in Luke 19. God is using a small, insignificant con man in Zacchaeus to somehow, crazily, demonstrate to us what his son is like. That though there are obvious differences, Jesus, like Zacchaeus, gives to us out of his wealth to us, the spiritually poor. He worked to restore our relationship with God, the ones we were uh, indebted to, the, the one we were indebted to. But unlike Zacchaeus, 
he gave not only half, but he gave his whole self, his whole body, every bit of breath in his lungs. He gave it all for you. He paid it all, climbing a tree for you and me to die in our place, to be suspended between heaven and earth, in between God and sinners, to bridge the gap, and to promise us that no matter what, no matter what will happen in our life, everything is ultimately going to be okay. That's the, that's the message of the gospel, right? No matter what, everything is going to be okay. You guys are okay. Everything's going to be okay because of, of that, because of him. And so when you, when you guys read your Bibles, and some of you are new to this, look for these patterns. There's a reason why you have people hanging on or climbing in trees in between God in heaven and sinners on earth, in between. The suspension between the two is a literal bridge. It's a literal like avenue or way by which God is going to invade earth and soften hearts and bring his enemies back to himself that they might dine at his table and not be thrust into hell. There's a reason why this is the case. There's a reason why the cross, even in one sense, is not just a one-off. But all the stories of the Bible help, even indirectly, to the stories, like the stories on the left here, like with Zacchaeus, they, all, they help to tell the story of the story on the right. That was God's always his plan A, always his main mission, always the top of the pyramid, always the top of the mountain. It's the climax of climaxes of history, of the biblical story, of our very spiritual journeys, of our life. And I think Luke 19 holds this out for us and it asks us, at the end of the day, do you guys believe that this is, that this is true? Do you believe that Jesus is like this? Do you believe that grace is that radical and scandalous? Do you believe it's a gift rather than a reward? Do you believe that we are both victims and oppressors, that we're just as bad as Zacchaeus and the worst of people of society today? Or do we grumble at the unfairness of God showing grace to children of the devil, to quote Jesus? And that's who we are until we're not, right? Until we're adopted out of that family. So I think the invitation is, do we believe this? Would you guys come down out of your tree of good works and your tree of morality for that? Would you come down out of that? Would you let yourself be found by the Son of Man? Would you respond joyfully with repentance, not fearing what the crowds might think? I mean, at the end, basically how Jesus puts a cap on this is, this is what this means. The Son of Man, referring to himself, it's a, word, it's a phrase for Jesus, for I, the Son of Man, came to seek and to save the lost. He came into the world to find lost people like us in love. And, and to bring us in. And that's what God wants you guys and, and me to hear ultimately today, that this is what he's like. And if in any way we have a wrong picture of Jesus, he's trying to lovingly correct us with the Bible and to say, we all have preconceived notions about what God is like. Many of them are wrong. They're just wrong. And the good news is God doesn't exist based off what we think of him. He exists in spite of what we think of him because we're pretty wrong a lot of times about grace and about him and about salvation, all this stuff. And so Jesus hung on a tree like Zacchaeus climbed. Jesus is the ultimate tree climber uh, right here to show us that, man, no one can do that. You guys can't do that. I can't do that, right? Zacchaeus came down. We came down so Jesus could go up. Jesus says, don't keep climbing higher, Zacchaeus. You're doing good. 
keep it up. Keep trying to be a good person. Be a better version of yourself. Change culture. Change the world. Keep going. He says, come down. Come away from that and just come away with me. Walk away with me. Let me come into your house. Like I want to come into your heart. Let me walk into your house and let me climb that tree. Let me show you what it means to truly climb a tree. And that's what it means to truly climb a tree. He died for your sins, you guys. He loves you that much. Uh, Don't ever replace that with yourself or with anything, bad or good, (laughs) bad or good. Don't replace it with anything. But, But like Zacchaeus, receive that wholesale and believe and repent. Let me pray. Father, thank you for this passage. Thank you for what it means uh, about us, but especially what it means about you. Father, thank you that um, we have in Zacchaeus a multifaceted, multi-layered, just a beautiful description and depiction of, of what the gospel is and what it isn't, um, the offensive nature to how we understand sin and ourselves and comparison issues with other people. Um, how bad the problem is and what it cost God to fix it. Um, Jesus not flattering us by saying climb higher, but lovingly calling us down, uh, which is a humbling thing, uh, away from our attempts at being good in a lot of ways, just to be with him. Um, God, I pray that these types of things would begin or continue to shape us as a church and as people, wherever people are at today. I'm guessing there are non-Christians here, there are people who are barely Christians, there are people who have been Christians a while, whatever the case, shape us, God, shape us, Jesus, by your words, shape us by the Bible, and not by what we think should be true about you, Um, because what we think to be true will always be not as good of news, Um, not to mention the truth, but but you are the truth, and you offer much better news to Zacchaeuses like us, to con men like us, uh, to thieves like us. And we praise you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.